Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask you to uh, help us to reflect on what uh, your word is teaching us today and to not just take it into our minds but to take it into our hearts because truly it has so much to speak to us on our priorities, our views, our goals, our mission in life and we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now the question I want to ask you this morning is how confident are you? Are you a confident person? How confident are you when it comes uh, to you as a person? You know who you are. Are you a confident person? Uh, how confident are you at work? Are you a confident person on the job? How confident are you maybe in your marriage or in your relationships? Now today, I think the question that is really being posed to us in the book of Colossians chapter 1 is how confident are we as Christians in our Christian walk? And I think that to all of us at various times in our life will feel a bit insecure in our Christian walk. Maybe we lose confidence. Maybe we feel that we are lacking something. So I was reading this uh, excellent book that I picked up at our church camp, which uh, Sui Teng uh, brought in, called The Disappearance of God. And he makes a very good point today that uh, the characteristic of a lot of Christians that he sees, he describes them as weak need. You know, weak in the knees? It means that they're scared, they are, they're insecure, that they're worried, that they are lacking in confidence, that they're timid. And he said that one of the reasons is culture. Because now we're living in what he says, a post-Christian culture. So whether you're living in the West, in America, or Europe, or even Singapore, Christians are the minority, and Christian thinking is a minority, and we feel irrelevant. You know, you look at the newspapers, you look at what other people say, we feel as if we are irrelevant, we say things which are politically incorrect, we say things which are insensitive. And, uh, you know, we feel that maybe we need to change our view of Christianity to make it more acceptable to the world. Or maybe we feel that we've been a Christian for a while and we need that extra spark where they were missing uh, that secret ingredient. You know, if you ever watch uh, Kung Fu Panda, the secret ingredient, right? Maybe you're missing that secret ingredient in your Christian life. So I think that today's passage actually tells us about how we are to be confident as Christians. And it begins, I'm, I'm not going to look at the introduction of verse 1 to 2, I'm going to focus on verse 3. And look at what it says there in verse 3 in your Bibles, or you can follow it up here. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth. Now here, the first thing I want you to notice is, we're going to really focus on the, on the passage, right? Is that Paul doesn't say, I always pray for you, but we always pray for you. It means that he, the church, the church workers, uh, the people who are with him, Timothy and Epaphras, they always pray for them, and they pray for three things. They don't, they don't pray for prosperity, right? for Chinese New Year, they don't pray for money, they don't pray for... Uh, good relationships or success, but he prays for three things and gives thanks for three things in the life of the Colossian Christians. And uh, these three things are faith, love, and hope. Now what do these three things mean? Well, he thanks them for their faith in Christ Jesus. Now faith is not a supernatural thing. You know, some people say, I wish I had your faith. It's not a supernatural thing. It is a very common, natural, ordinary word, this faith here. It means confidence or trust or security. Uh, you sit down in that chair, it means that you have confidence or faith that that chair will hold you up. 
And that's the simple meaning of the word here. He's literally saying that he is really thankful that they have confidence or security in Christ Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. And he is actually thanking God for it because he's actually saying that the faith that they have received, the trust or confidence that they have received, is not a decision of their own, but it's something that God has brought into their life. Now, isn't that a very interesting concept? You might have thought that when you chose to believe Jesus or trust in Jesus and his death on the cross for you, that you were making your decision. But actually, from this passage we see that actually God plays the big part in helping you come to your faith. God is the one who brings that security of trust in Jesus Christ. So again, uh, this book, The Disappearance of God, is saying that in the West today, uh, there is this movement called open theism, where they're basically saying the future is open to God. God doesn't know the future. It's an open book, and anything can happen in the future. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He cannot control the future. But how different the Bible itself, because the Bible says that God controls everything, even your decision to put your faith in Jesus. And he thanks God for that. Now, the second thing that he thanks God for, for the Colossian Christians, is the love for all the saints. The love for all the saints, that you have for all the saints. Now, the the saints here uh, is not uh, the saints that we understand, like the Catholic Church, right? It's not like the love for Mother Teresa, okay? Saints means you and me, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all saints, not because we are super spiritual, super holy, but because of our faith in Jesus makes us all holy, makes us all righteous, makes us all godly before God. So he's saying that, he's saying that uh, they all love one another. And you notice there, he doesn't say, I thank God for the courtesy that you have for each other, or the friendliness that you show to one another, or the kindness that you show to one another. He says, love. Love. And love is more than courtesy. Love is more than friendliness. Love is more than kindness. Love is supernatural love, right? It is a love where we sacrifice one another, where we love one another even though we're different, even though we might come from different backgrounds, we're separated by education, wealth, culture, age, skin color, but yet we're different from the world because we love one another greatly. And this has always been the mark of the true Christian experience. Okay, so Jesus said these words. He said to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As you have loved, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. How did Jesus love his disciples? He died for them. And that's the way we must love one another. We must love up to the point of death. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A sacrificial love of one another. And uh, 1 John chapter 3. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother or his sister. And I think that again, uh, this is why you need your Bibles, right? This love that we have is supernatural because it doesn't come from ourselves. God gives us the capacity to love, and that's why he thanks God. See, look at what it says there in verse 8. You see, in verse 8 it says, Epaphras told us of your love in the Spirit. 
It is through the Holy Spirit working in us that allows us to be sacrificial, to be loving in the way that we love one another like Jesus. Sweet Teng just came back from Myanmar. I think he came back uh, last week, or no, the week before, the week before, after going on mission in Myanmar. And he uh, mentioned to me about how one of the most productive evangelistic outreach things that happened was, you remember in Myanmar there was a tsunami or a storm which killed many people? And apparently, what had happened was, uh, as a result of that uh, tsunami or storm which killed many people, the Christians in the interior of the country sent people and money and assistance to other Christians down where they were affected. Now you might think that's no big deal, right? But, see, when we help people as Singaporeans, we help people out of our wealth, isn't it? I mean, generally we're not poor. We don't have problems finding enough food to eat or shelter to, uh, to, to keep us warm or safe if, you know, dry at night. But in Myanmar, people are really poor. But yet out of their poverty, they gave out of their poverty to help those people who were had even less than them, who were affected by this, uh, by this uh, tsunami. And as a result, many people came to faith because they saw that this love was not a normal love, it was a supernatural love. And that's what Paul is talking about here. The love you have for the saints, a sacrificial supernatural love. Not kindness, not courtesy, not friendliness. Then he goes on to say, oh, too bad for you, huh? I didn't print the other one, you have to look at your Bibles now. He says, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. The hope that is spoken about here is not the way that we use hope. Right? So, I might say to you, oh, you know, uh, I'm playing golf tomorrow, I hope the weather is good, right? And basically, hope just means optimism, right? I hope that something is going to happen. Oh, I hope that Manchester United beat Tottenham tonight. You know, it's like, it's just an optimistic thing, you know, something that you wish for. But the hope here is actually a different sort of hope is a certain hope. A hope of clear expectation, a hope without doubt. And this hope is the hope of eternal life, the hope of heaven, the hope of being with God in eternity. And this comes about because of their faith in Christ Jesus. That's what gives them hope. But not only that, even the phrase itself, the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, shows that this hope is a sure, certain hope. Now, I'm sure that all of you have bank accounts, except maybe the younger people, but all of us here keep money in the bank. Now, why do we keep money in the bank? Well, obviously, apart from getting interest, we feel that it's safer to keep money in the bank, don't you think? Because if you kept all your money under your bed, uh, I, I know, when you come to church on Sunday morning, when you go back, it might be all gone. Right? But if you keep it in the bank, when you go home, you know that the money is still there because you know that magic ATM will tell you that it's still there, right? And the same thing here, isn't it? If you look at this, your hope is stored up for you in heaven. God, you know, the bank of God, right, is looking after your hope in heaven where it is, it cannot be robbed, it cannot be stolen by anybody. Now these three things, faith, love and hope, are all dynamically tied together. See, notice what it says there, your faith and love that spring from the hope. So they all build on one another as you are looking forward to your certain future, your faith in Jesus is strong and you're able to sacrifice and love people in this world. See how it all builds on one another? Now the question we want to ask ourselves is, why does Paul tell the Colossians that he prays for these things? Why do we learn it? Now we know that Paul has never met the Colossian Christians, so 
Is it because he wants to boast about how he's such a prayer warrior? Right? Is, is, is it because he wants to tell them that, uh, you know, a Christian should pray very regularly? No, I think that as we saw last week in the overview of Colossians, uh, the Colossians were becoming a bit uh, insecure in the Christian faith. There was wrong teaching that was coming in. And I think that here, Paul is trying to tell them that they have the complete Christian experience. So like a, a pastor of mine, uh, the principal of my theological college says, they have the Christian experience in 3D. Right? No, not, not 2D anymore. This is 3D, right? The three dimensions of the Christian experience. Faith in Christ. Love for the saints. Hope stored up in heaven. And therefore, there is no reason to be insecure. Uh, here we have uh, two Bible studies that uh, have been published on Colossians. And all of them say that the main idea of Colossians is completeness, right? The complete Christian is the first study. The other one is confident Christianity. See, the whole idea is in Christ, in loving one another, in having a hope of heaven, you have everything. And I think that's a very important thing for us today as Christians. If you have ever felt insecure, if you have ever felt that you need a little thing more, or if you have ever felt weak need, then you have to turn back to Colossians and say, I have it all. If I have faith, if I have love, if I have hope, I have the complete Christian experience. I do not need anything. And I think again, the culture of the day sort of pushes us into insecurity, don't you think? Today, new is good. Old is bad, don't you think? So you know if you have a normal phone, that's no good. You've got iPhone 3, better. iPhone 4, even better, right? New is better, old is bad. Same with lifestyle, right? So it's like, no, if you look at the television and things, it's, it's all about change. And if you, if you're not changing, you know, having new life experiences, going to different holidays, doing different things, you know, it's, it's, it's like you're old fashioned. You're stuck in the mud. But Paul is saying that actually the Christian life, if you have those three, three things, you don't need any more. You've got, got it all. And I think that, uh, the culture we live in, we ask the wrong questions and so we feel insecure. So, the, the, the culture of the day, what does it feel like? It says, God, make me more fulfilled. God, make my life more satisfying. God, make me feel more real. And as a result, we feel insecure, isn't it? Because God doesn't make us feel more fulfilled. God doesn't make us feel more satisfied. God doesn't feel more real. Then we want to move on to something else. But the question of the Bible is not about being more fulfilled, more satisfied, or more real. The question of the Bible is, how can a miserable sinner stand before God? Right, that is the question of the Bible. How can a miserable sinner stand before God? And if you have those three things, you have faith in Jesus, you have love for the saints, you have a hope of a certain future, you are right before God. You have the complete Christian experience. And I think that's also a very important lesson for us. When we ask ourselves, what have you thanked God recently? What have you thanked God recently? Well, maybe you say, well, this morning, I thank God for my breakfast. And then last night, I thank God for my dinner. And before that, I thank God for my lunch. But what else do you thank God for? Well, you only thank God for the small things, 
Then this passage is actually saying that there's so much more that God has given you, isn't it? He's given you eternal life. He's given you the complete Christian experience. And that's something that we have to really learn from this passage as well. Now, not only do we have the complete Christian experience, we have the complete Christian knowledge. Right, as it says there in the bulletin, we, we have complete Christian knowledge or the message of God. And that's where it comes in the next verse. So up here on the slide, okay, look what it says. Okay, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and also told you of your love in, uh, in the Spirit. Now, how do we get knowledge of God? Knowledge of God comes through the Gospel, His Word, here, in front of us. The knowledge of God doesn't come by sitting down and waiting for the Holy Spirit to whisper in our minds. The knowledge of God doesn't come by having a vision or a dream. And the knowledge of God doesn't come by some experience. You see, look at the words that uh, are used here. Okay? You've heard about the Gospel. You've already heard it. And not only have you heard it, you've understood it. And not only did you understand it, you, you learned it. You studied it. See, we shouldn't have people saying to us, oh, you know, Bible study, uh, that's very intellectual. No? Right, we, 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 you can know God in another way. You don't need the Bible. You know, you, you can sense God, or you can feel God, or you can see God through your dreams or visions, or you can have all these experiences. No. What it says here is there is no other way to know God and to know His plan for us except through the Gospel. As someone once said, you can spend 1,000 eternities trying to dream up God or have visions or experience God, but you will never know any more about God than through His Word in the Gospel. Now, he goes on to say as well that in verse 7, you learned it from Epaphras. Right? You learned it from Epaphras. And that shows that actually you do not learn from the person, but you learn the Gospel through that person. So today you came and listened to me, right, Andrew Ong. But you, you're not listening to Andrew Ong, right? My ideas, uh, my thinking, my, right, these fresh things that I bake and bring out every week. You hear the gospel, right? You hear the gospel through what I'm saying. And I think that's so important because sometimes you say, oh, you know, you must go and hear such and such a preacher, right, or a pastor. You say, oh, you know, that person really speaks to my needs. Or he's really funny, or he tells really interesting stories, or, uh, you know, he's got really great insights into my problems. But that misses the point. Because, if you look at this passage, they learned the gospel through Epaphras. So it doesn't matter how funny the pastor is, it doesn't matter how he meets your needs or your, uh, you know, your, your problems. It is, do you hear the gospel through that person? And that's why in Australia, when my classmates uh, get ordained, they are given the Bible. Because the Bible 
is what is supposed to be communicated to the congregation. Now, I remember hearing this wonderful illustration about this uh, missionary who was uh, flying over Borneo in a small airplane. Apparently, he was flying and there was lots of cloud. And he was with this pilot. And they were in the cloud for quite a while. And the pilot said, are we going up or are we going down? What do you think? Are we going up or are we going down? And then uh, the, the, my, my missionary friend said, I think we're going up. He said, do you think we're, we're turning left or we're turning right or are we going straight? And the guy goes, I think we're going straight. He says, well, look at the instruments. And then when you look at the instruments, he realized he was completely wrong. See, because when you fly, according to the pilot, when you fly in a cloud, you never trust how you feel, but you always look at the instruments. And I think that's the same for us, see? What this passage is telling us, you don't trust your feelings, or what people are saying, or the culture around you. You trust the instrument. And what is our instrument? It is the Bible. We trust the Bible. We rely on the Bible. And that is what keeps us going as Christians. We have the complete knowledge, the complete message of God. Now, what does uh, the last section say? Verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, uh, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened of all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Seems like a very long convoluted passage, right? But uh, for those of you who have uh, ESV, it's even more complicated, right? I think, after going to the Bible study. But if you look up here, I've uh, tried to break it down for you based on the main verbs, okay? Main verbs and the secondary verbs. And basically, the main verb here is that they have not, he says that I have not stopped praying for you and asking uh, for things for you, right? And then it says that there is a purpose in his prayer that he's not stopped asking and praying for things. And that is that they may be filled, they may be filled with all spiritual knowledge of his will. Okay? He may be completely filled. And the purpose of that is so that they may be pleasing and worthy of God. And how are they going to live as lives pleasing and worthy of Lord in four ways? Just four things. Okay, the four things are linked to what comes before. How are you going to be pleasing and worthy of the Lord? Bearing fruit, the first way. Growing the knowledge of God is the second way. Uh, being strengthened is the third way and giving thanks is the fourth way. Okay, so once you understand the flow of it, based on the verbs, it's much easier to understand. So the first thing he says is, Paul asked God, okay, before he was thanking God for all these things, uh, thanking God for the gospel, the complete knowledge, he was thanking God that they were complete Christians, but now he asks God for things. And what does he ask God for? He asks God that he may be filled with the knowledge of his will, of all wisdom and understanding. Now I wonder whether that's something that we ask God for ourselves. Do you want to know God's will with all wisdom and understanding? 
we fill our minds with different sorts of knowledge. Right? In fact, all our life is spent filling our minds with knowledge. Right? Ever since uh, kindergarten, we're filling our minds with knowledge, right? Language. For me, Chinese, but nothing going in, right? Okay? Right? So, you know, you're filling your minds with language, with science, with maths, with humanities. You watch documentaries. You, you know, even when you go on holiday, you're, you're, you're getting knowledge, don't you think? But we are on a quest for lifelong knowledge. You know, when you open the newspaper in Singapore, lifelong learning. But here, Paul says, what is the Christian lifelong learning? It is to know God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Is that what is your lifelong quest? To keep knowing God's will? To live in this world? That's something that we are to do as Christians. We are to know, we are to ask God for the knowledge of His will. Now it says that we are to be filled with it. Okay, now the idea is we've already heard it, we've already learned it, already studied it, but we, we're not filled with it. So it's like a bottle, no, or a glass, or a cup. It's only half full. It needs to be filled up some more. So it's not something that ends, but we keep wanting to know God's will more and more. Now it's very interesting because here it says that they are to need to know God's will in order to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please God. Now we often think, okay, God, God, please, I want to know your will. But usually we mean it this way, right? God, I want to know your will so that, you know, I need to know what job to take. Or, you know, help me, God, let me know what your will is so I know whether I should marry this person. Or, help me know, no, dear Father, let me know your will so that, you know, I, I need to know uh, what course I should study. Or which university or which school I should go to. But here, the knowledge of God's will is very different, right? It is the will to live every day to please Him. Why does it say here to live a life worthy of the Lord? Worthy. Some people mistake it to mean that, well, if we live a life worthy of the Lord, it means that we are getting to heaven by good works. Is that we live all, you know, we we know God's will, so we live more and more better, and so we are worthy of going to heaven. But that's not what this passage is actually saying at all. So Don Carson was saying, uh, this uh, preacher, that you know, as Asians, we understand this idea of being worthy. So he's talking about this Korean student who was failing. And because this uh, student was failing, they were really sad and upset. So Don Carson, the professor, went to ask him, well, why are you so upset? You just failed. What's the big deal, right? He said, yeah, but you know, I let down my family. See, as Asians, we understand, isn't it? You, when, you, when you do something wrong, you don't disgrace yourself, but you disgrace your family, you disgrace your family name, you disgrace the whole line of your family. So, here, that's what he's saying, you know, he's saying, look, now that you're saved, now you're in the kingdom of God, you call God the Father, you know, your Father, you call Jesus your Lord, you must live a worthy life, worthy of calling God your Father and Jesus your Lord, worthy to be in the kingdom of light, you must live it out in what you do. And, you have to ask yourself, is that the goal of your life? Because the goal of most people's life is what? Money, 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 right? Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. But the goal of the Christian life is to be pleasing to God. To be worthy of God. And we have to do it in four ways. And again, very penetrating ways. When I read it, it challenges me. The first one is to bear fruit in every good work. 
And here the idea is of an ongoing process of bearing fruit. We never stop bearing fruit in our Christian life. You know, it's not like your working life where you retire, or maybe you go on holiday. Right? You, you cannot go on holiday as a Christian, no? And you cannot retire as a Christian. You must keep bearing fruit. Uh, I remember this pastor was sharing with me that sometimes he meets these older Christians who feel that, you know, they've already arrived, they don't need to serve, they don't need to love, they don't need to grow, they don't need to keep maturing in Christ. He says that's not true, because here we keep bearing fruit in every good work. Until the day we die. And he says there, growing in the knowledge of God. I don't think this passage means, growing in the knowledge means, okay, I go to church on Sunday, and I hear the sermon, or I go to Bible study, and I'm okay. Growing in the knowledge of God means literally that you consistently feed in a communion of God's Word, isn't it? It's interesting, we never think of it that way, right? Growing in the knowledge of God, we think it helps ourselves. But actually, growing in the knowledge of God is what is pleasing to God. It's what is living a life worthy of God. Now, when I was a Christian, I used to complain to my pastor in Australia, oh, you know, I don't have time, like, I don't have time to read the Bible. So, he challenged me, he said, do you have time to read the newspaper? I said, yeah. Well, if you have time to read the newspaper, you have time to read the Bible, right? Same way for us, right? If you have time to update your Facebook, Right? You have time to surf the net, watch YouTube, uh, watch your favorite sitcom on television. Then you also have time to grow in the knowledge of God. The third thing is being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. This is very interesting because the world seems to be saying that if you're a Christian, you never suffer. right? And if you suffer, somehow... Uh, God is not happy with you or uh, you're not living a good Christian life. And when we suffer, what do we do? I know what I do. God, take me out of this suffering. Right? Take me out of this suffering now. But what does Paul pray for them? He says, that you may be strengthened so that you may actually endure through suffering. And here the idea is not that uh, God gives us strength for... Um, Strength so that I can do my work at, at work or study hard. But he says, strengthen so that I will not lose my faith. I will keep bearing, bearing under the strain. I'll have stickability. I'll persevere. Well, that's a good thing to pray for, isn't it? To pray that God will strengthen you so that you'll be strong under the stress and pressure of this life. Last of all, joyfully giving thanks. To God. I think it's very hard as a Singaporean, no? giving thanks. I never, I never, I mean, after I study this passage again, you never think that giving thanks is living a life worthy of God and pleasing to Him. But it says here, giving thanks to the Father. And it says you're giving thanks because of what God has done for you. It says you're giving thanks because God the Father saved us, rescued us, qualified us to share in His kingdom rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We think, thank God to God because of His character, because of what He's done for us. So how often do you give thanks to God? Are you joyfully giving thanks for what God has done for you? It doesn't mean that you must be happy every day, okay? I think Christians still suffer from depression. Christians still get sad. But even when you're sad, even when you're depressed, you can still give thanks joyfully for the things that you have received. But I see Singaporeans, I think as a as a nation, we are complainers. 
it's a, it's a national trait. I don't say the newspaper says that, you know, we are complainers, right? So, you know, when you're older, the older Singaporeans, you get, gather in a coffee shop over coffee and you complain. Then, you know, the, the ones who are younger, they, they gather and then they, they write the, into the forum in the Straits Times. Uh, then the, the younger ones, they write on their Facebook and their blog how unhappy they are. Right? But the thing is, as Christians, we must joyfully give thanks to God for what He's done for us, for saving us, for the things that He gives us every day. Is that something that you do? Because if it's not, then it's not being worthy of God. It's not pleasing to God. So in conclusion, what have we learned today? I think what we've learned today is that we have the complete Christian life. If you have faith, if you have love, and you have hope, you have, you have it all. There is nothing more you need. And if you have the Bible, you have all you need to know about God. You don't need to turn anywhere else. And as we go on in the Christian life, we must keep filling our minds with the knowledge of God and His will so that we may please Him in every way. That is, our, that is the goal of our life. So I want to ask you a few questions. right? When you pray... Do you pray a lot for things and do you not thank God? Just think for a second, when you, as a proportion, right, think of your pie chart, how much time do you spend thanking God and how much time do you spend asking God for things? Right, maybe we need to change that balance. We need to thank God a lot more for what we have because we're not really taking into our hearts exactly what we have and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Second question I want to ask you is, what do you pray for and what do you give thanks for? Uh, when I reflect on my own self, I would say that most of the time I, I, I pray for and give thanks for earthly things. You know, like uh, problems, earthly problems, uh, people problems, or, you know, you, 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 you ask God for some illness or something like that. Don't we, don't we all give thanks for that? I, I remember someone once, once said, you know, the times that you pray hardest, the most for is the night before your exam, right? Right, so, you know, you're praying for earthly things, things which are really important for your earthly life. But when you look at this prayer, Paul, who is sitting in prison in Rome, is praying for what? The heavenly things. Their faith, their love, their hope. He's praying that they will know God better. Pray that they will be, you know, they'll bear fruit and everything. That they will be strengthened in suffering. That they will give thanks. And last of all, whom do you pray for? Who do you pray for? You just pray for yourself. Because in this prayer, Paul has never met the Colossians, but yet he's, look at what he says, he's always praying for them. He has not stopped praying for them. So, you know, we've, uh, we've been getting these uh, OMF cards for Taiwan, Japan, Thai church. We can pray for these people who we've not met, isn't it? Because we can pray for them because they are the saints. They are our brothers, they are our sisters. Now, what I want you to do today is, um, I've got these cards. Maybe uh, I'll get, uh, oh, Minkit and, um, and Nicholas, can you help me here? Okay, uh, I have these uh, cards and uh, I'd like each of you to take one. I think uh, patient kindly designed it for me. The green one is for girls and the blue one is for guys. I want you to write to us someone, someone in our midst, and I want you to say to them, I want you to thank them for one aspect of their Christian life. Okay, I want you to thank that, you know, one aspect of their spiritual life. And I want you to, to commit to pray about one aspect of their spiritual life. Okay, so you thank for one aspect of their 
spiritual life. And I want you to commit to pray to one aspect of the spiritual life. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really pray that we will put on the mindset of looking at life through heavenly eyes rather than earthly eyes and to see that if we have faith in Jesus, if we have love for each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and if we have a hope of heaven, then we are complete in every way before you. Dear Father, we also recognize that if we have your word, the gospel, we also have every knowledge of you that you requ- we require. And dear Father, we also pray that we will make it our goal to fill our minds with the knowledge of your will in order to live pleasing and worthy lives before you. And dear Father, we just pray for ourselves that we would, uh, as a, not just individually, but as a church, that we will bear fruit in every good work, that we will grow in the knowledge of God, that we will be strengthened to be able to persevere in all difficulty and struggle, and also to joyfully give thanks to you, for you are God who have rescued us from darkness and evil and death and judgment and brought us into the kingdom of light through the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.